If you'll turn to Daniel chapter 3, we're in our series called Average Joes, Ordinary People, Extraordinary God. We start off with David, an eighth round pick last week. We did, <laughs> you like that? Um, they must not have been there. Uh, and then we had Jeremiah last week, and he was the what? You remember him? Kind of the ignored prophet. And this week, we have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're looking at fireproof fugitives. I am reminded, however, how my mom taught me the story when I was just a wee little one. It was Shadrach, Meshach, and to bed you go. And um, she kind of got the Hebrew translation messed up, I'm guessing, but um, it worked. So I want to ask you a question. If, in fact, we have the premise right, and we do, we, we believe we do, that God just takes ordinary people in the Scriptures, but because He's an extraordinary God, we want to look at the takeaway this week and say, what made these guys average? These were fireproof fugitives. But I think you know the context in Daniel chapter 3. I'll get to it in a moment. This is the fiery furnace discussion, and uh, uh, we'll look at what happened to these three guys. But I want to start with the question, have you ever had to defend your faith. Now, you don't have to raise your hands, but you probably had to defend your faith if you were ever in college and you had an atheist professor who said there was no God and you had to maybe defend your faith in that standpoint. Maybe you had to stand up for your faith because in the, in the real world of business, there are compromises you're asked to make and at some point you draw a line in the sand and say, uh-uh, I'm not going to do that. I have had those situations where I have been overseas, and I remember the very first time where I thought, this might not have been a great idea to have high school and college kids with me. I was in Lima, Peru, and it was in 1988, and it was when the Shining Path were very prevalent in that country, and Americans were being kidnapped and taken hostage. And I remember our guide saying, hey, park the bus inside you know, kind of our little fortress, our little missionary compound. And when your kids are out on the streets, make sure there's always four or five of you, but don't bring too much attention to yourself, and especially do not be loud. That is like, well, you know what that's like. Um, I was then in China uh, in the early 2000s. I was lecturing in a university, and there was a monitor in the back of the class. And this is when it really hit me that what I say is being recorded and what could happen next could mean I might not be leaving this country. And I remember uh, we were there, and I won't mention the name of an organization who brought us over there, but they thought we were there to teach English. And we did teach the English Bible. Um, <laughs> and about Jesus. How do you spell that? And so, um, in the course of giving uh, those lectures, I then met with Christian students, the underground church, and I'll never forget the night where I sat in a living room, shades closed, discussion in the Bible, and this guy had been imprisoned for his faith in the previous months and had just gotten out. And then I thought about my pitiful, poor existence in America where my big challenge is whether I go to In-N-Out or Carl's Jr. Now, I say that because we look at this text and we could instantly say, this doesn't relate to us 
because we don't have to stand up for our beliefs. But I, th I think by the time we're done, you're going to see how this translates today for our faith. And so would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we ask that the messenger would not confuse the message as we look at this text together in Jesus' name. Amen. So have you ever had to stand up for your faith? Have you, as a Christ follower in the crucible of crisis, had to say, I got to trust God for this thing? Now, we can all probably think of examples where we had to trust Christ in a difficult time. This is what I would suggest is the most difficult time for these three guys. And I'm going to say in this passage, in just a couple of verses, I'm going to give you two principles from God's Word that when you are facing unexpected challenges, maybe even life-threatening decisions and major obstacles, God gives you two principles that you can absolutely cling to. And I'm going to suggest that these three average guys practiced these two principles early in their lives and that they continued to follow Him uh, when it really made a difference. And so I need to give you a background. Now, we're only going to look at three verses essentially in chapter 3, but you need to have the context of the book of Daniel. So what has happened to Israel? We know that in 605 B.C., that, that Israel is overrun by Babylonia, all right? And later in 722, or earlier in 722, the Assyrians had done it to them. But in 605, they invade, and all these kids are taken captive. When I say kids, I mean teenagers, like the ones that are sitting in the front row. If you go back to chapter 1, would you turn there with me? What kind of kids were taken captive? Youths of whom there was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding, and discerning a knowledge who had the ability for serving in the king's court. And so what was typical, there are two ways you could take out your competition. You could wipe them out, if you know what I mean, or you could co-opt them. And they would co-opt these, the best and the brightest of Israel, and they would want to systematically brainwash them. So they changed their names. If you look in chapter 1, they had different names, right? In fact, look at their names. What, the original names were... Uh, <coughs> Hananiah uh, to Shadrach, Mishael to Meshach, and from Azariah to Abednego. They even changed their Hebrew names. They changed their culture. They changed their food. In fact, the big dispute in chapter 1 is they were invited to sit at the king's table. Now, think about it. The king's table. No king went hungry in those days, right? They ate the choicest of the foods. But this is where we get that Daniel fast from chapter 1. This is what Daniel says, hey, no, let's do a little challenge our guys will just eat fruits and vegetables, which is kind of the story of my life with my wife right now, and oh my goodness. And so, um, apparently it's working more for her than me, uh, but I still eat in and out. And so, um, their appearance was better, and so the, that got the king's ear, then Daniel does an interpretation of a dream, and so, you know, they're setting the stage that, that God is at work. It's not because these guys are so great or that Daniel's so awesome, but it says that God was with them. And so by implication, um, had these guys eaten that food back then, that would have defiled them because it had been offered to idols, and by eating it, you said, in a sense, uh, I believe that this, this God, little g, is worthy of following. So now let's fast forward to chapter 3, and this sets our context for today with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Something happens in verse 1. The king decides to set up an idol to himself. It's, it says in verse 1, it's all these cubits, but that translates to, 
to 90-foot tall statue. Now, an average telephone pole, if you ever see them today, is about 50. So imagine two times the height of a telephone pole and this monument to his ego and pride. And he says, when you hear the music play, everybody's supposed to bow down. Just imagine, you know, bowing down uh, in Islam. We see that, you know, bowing down to, to Mecca. And it's, it's astounding to me that this king wants that to happen because he has this conversion experience Back in chapter 2, verse 47, after the interpretation of the dream, he gives God all the credit. Look at verse 47. Surely your God is a God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. So he had this short-lived faith in God, and now, you know, he says, but he's believing his own press reports, and everybody's got to bow down to this golden image. And we're going to see later on, I believe it's these jealous advisors that kind of set him up for that because that's going to get an entrapment and entrap Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, you're listening to this today and go, ah, oh, John, really, man, can't you pick a little more relevant text? Like, just checking in lately, I haven't been bound down to 90-foot idols. I don't even have an idol in my life. I don't even watch American Idol, you know. So why would the, what's the relevance? Well, I think the relevance is very direct because we have our own idols. And I would say idol, the idols in our life revolve around two things. Those things that we say we can't live without and those things we fear that had we not had them, our life falls apart. So we have some very functional idols in our life, do we not? Can we agree that there's some... Let me give you four functional idols you have in your life. Number one, power. Those things we think we control. By the way, you think you have power until you have a 19-month-old grandson with you all weekend. You have no power. <laughs> we know who has the power, and he controls it very well, all right? Power. How about popularity? That's a functional idol. That's the idol of what others think of us or who we think they think we are. Or how about the idol of performance, those things that I do? That's an idol for some of us. And maybe it's possessions or prosperity, those things that I have. See, we have functional idols in our life. And so Psalm 31, 6, I hate, David says, I hate those idols, but I trust in the Lord. So we're going to look at these three guys. How in the world did they stand up for their faith in the light of the fact that everything was going against them? Well, you know in the text what happens. The idol's set up, they don't bow down, the little minions of Nebuchadnezzar rat them out and say, hey, this is not good. These guys you've kind of layered up into leadership, they don't bow down. You said yourself that if you don't bow, crispy critter, you're done, fiery furnace, toastitos, done. And so Nebuchadnezzar just takes it sitting down and just is calmly like, oh, it's really no big deal. Is that what the text says? No, of course not. What's Nebuchadnezzar? He, in verse 13, in rage and anger, gives order to throw him into the furnace. In fact, it's so hot, the guys around him burn up, and they get thrown in the, they're going to get thrown in the fire. So at least that's the deal. But Nebuchadnezzar gives them one last chance to recant and to, to say, hey, say it ain't so, Joe. Ties with the text. Oh, never mind. Um, and look what happens. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this. Now, I want to set you up here. Here's not disrespectful. I don't, say, I don't think he said, I don't think they in any way came across brash or arrogant. 
I think there was this cool under fire, literally, kind of confidence. I don't think they kind of strutted their stuff going, yo, Nebuchadnezzar, you are a fool, dude. Like, you can't hurt us. We are invincible. We are fireproof. I don't think they did any of that. That would be the, the screen version of this, right? The real test is I think they humbly were standing there before the king and said, we really don't have, well, he's really saying, we don't really answer to you. We answer to God. And that just throws Nebuchadnezzar into a conniption. I mean, he's just raging. And then they give the answers in these two verses. And I'm going to suggest that the answers that are found in verses 17 and 18 are the two principles that carry us in life today. So look at his first answer in verse 17. He says, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace. In other words, when you are, your faith is online, you have to have confidence in God's character. The God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and He will deliver us out of your hand, O King. Now, it says, if it be so. In other words, if it is God's will, He can save us. They're not saying He is going to save us. They're just, they're just saying He is going to save us if it's His will. So the if doesn't re, uh, refer to God's ability. It refers to His will, and you've got to get that. So there are often times where we trust God and we say, this is the way it's going to go, right, God? Uh-huh. And it doesn't go that way. That doesn't change whether or not we put our confidence in God's character. And so I got to ask you, how do you develop that kind of confidence? I would suggest that we develop that kind of confidence in God's character because somewhere along the line, you get a little chance to trust God. And then He gives you a bigger chance to trust God. And then later in life, a much bigger chance to trust God. And all those little things you did way back when where the stakes weren't so high developed that spiritual muscle called confidence in God's character. Not in your own abilities, but in God's character. He is who He says He is. So how do you develop that? I want to take you to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and I want to suggest there are three ways that you develop confidence in God's character. First one, first principle is trust Him completely. Look at Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, all right? Trust God completely. Now, there's plenty of scriptures that talk about trust. I'll give you three of them. Write these down. Psalm 91, 2, verse 2 and verse 11, and it's up on the screen there. My God in whom I trust, for he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Romans 8, 28, nothing can separate us from the love of God. All things work together for good. And so we know in Romans 8, it talks about nothing can separate us from God. That develops trust. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have you, the plans to give you a hope and a future. You see, the girls from Teen Challenge, and it's a lot easier when like 60 of them are sitting right here. But last hour, I talked to them about this idea that God has a hope and a plan and a future for you. But you don't have to be mired in addiction or go through a painful divorce or lose a loved one to know that all of us face times where we got to decide whether we really trust God. And in the good times, it's easier to trust God than it seems sometimes in the more difficult times. I want to illustrate that for you, and I've got my friend Noah going to help me out today. So Noah, come on up, and uh, would you put that blindfold on again? And um, I'd like you to trust me, and, and you've seen this. It's a, it's a youth group little activity. It's called the Faith Fall, where um, um, it's very simple. 
you know, he's going to fall backwards and I'm going to catch him. Now, when, Lord willing, I mean, that's the plan, all right? So when, God, when things are going well, it's pretty easy to trust God when, when things in your life are going pretty well, right? I mean, one, two, three, we fall back into God's hands. He's right there. You can feel him. But sometimes you go through the more difficult situations and God seems just a little farther away and he doesn't seem to answer as quickly as he did the first time, one, two, three. And we fall a little farther, but God was still there. But then God seems like a million miles away. And so um, I'm, I'm going to let you go like almost to the ground, all right? So put your arms out. One, two, three. But God catches you and, and you say, God's been faithful. He's been there all the time. But there are some times where God doesn't seem like he's behind you to catch you. It's like, what in the world is God thinking? I mean, my goodness gracious, he is nowhere to be found. Now, have you ever, I mean, no one would ever say this, but aren't there times where you're going through a problem and you're going, where's God? Where, anybody besides me ever ask where God is? He's always right there, right? But he doesn't seem like he's there. So now, Noah, I just, I want you to trust me. Um, God will provide a way and, and you're a Christian and it won't hurt that long and you're... Your eternity is secure, so um, it's all good, right? We're friends on three. Trust me. One, two, three. Whoa. Oh. Thank you. I shouldn't let you know, know that he did that last hour, but so he had, but you should have seen him first hour. He's like, whoa. By the way, first time I ever did that illustration, I was speaking at a camp, and I did it with my son who was seven, and I didn't tell him, you know, that there would be any kind of deal, and I had one of our youth guys catch him, but he just did, I mean, he didn't even think, and I mean, the, and the youth guy didn't catch him until he's like an inch from the ground, and I'm thinking, he's going to let him fall. I, didn't he get the idea? I'm, he's supposed to catch him, and I got my son, I go, what were you thinking? He goes, Daddy, you're my father. I know you wouldn't let me fall. And I thought about that. Isn't that the illustration of life? When we think our life is coming apart at the seams, if we have a heavenly Father, He is there to catch us, even when being caught isn't what our plan was. And so we trust Him completely. Secondly, it says, and lean not unto your own understanding. Principle number two, don't believe the lies. Don't believe the lies. I thought it was so interesting that they sang that Matthew Ward song, or Matthew, is it Matthew West or Matthew Ward song this morning about these lies that we believe. Now, I've actually put them in your notes, and I want you to look at them, and I actually want everybody to get their notes out and get a pen out, and I want you to look at the lies that we tend to believe about ourselves, and I want you to circle the one that you tend to believe. If you're with your spouse, don't circle ones for him or her. Just circle one for yourself and then talk about it. Talk about it as a family. Are these the lies that we believe? And they're all listed there in your notes. It's impossible. God says, all things are possible with me. Luke 18, 27. I'm too tired. He says, I'll give you rest. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Nobody really loves me. I love you. John 3, 16. I can't go on. My grace is sufficient. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. I can't do it. You can do all things through Christ. Philippians 4, 13. I'm not able. He says, I'm able. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. It's not worth it. It'll be worth it. 
Romans 8, 28, I can't forgive myself. He says, I'll forgive you. 1 John 1, 9, I can't manage. He says, I'll supply all your needs. Philippians 4, 19, I'm afraid. 1 Timothy 1, 7 says, I haven't given you a spirit of fear. I'm always worried and frustrated. He says, cast all your cares on me, 1 Peter 5, 7. I feel all alone. He says, I'll never leave or forsake you, Hebrews 13, 5. You see, this kind of confidence in God's character can only happen when we immerse ourselves in His Word and the truth of God's Word dispels the lies that we tend to want to believe. And we have these false tapes that are always circulating in our head. And that's why you say, why do you have a quiet time, John? Why do you study God's Word? Because I want to know the truth so it changes the way I think. Remember Romans 12, 1 and 2? Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, as your mind is renewed, then you don't buy the lies. Talk to some of the girls today. They bought the lie that they were unforgivable or that they could not be forgiven or their past caused them to never be lovable again. You've got your own lies, you believe. And my challenge to you is if you want to develop confidence in God's character, you cannot believe the lies. Now, when we are doing that, how does that happen? Well, thirdly, he says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Principle number three, give him the credit. Proverbs 3, 6 says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. And then the result is, if you do those three things, if you trust God completely, if you don't believe the lies, number three, you give him all the credit, then he'll make your path straight. Then he'll direct your life. Now, I was thinking about a particularly difficult time in my life where I had lost a job and I wasn't sure what I was going to be doing. And the way we give God credit and the way we and always acknowledge Him is we got to look at God's faithfulness in our past. And I want to give you this object lesson or a visual of a rowboat. So imagine you're only on the boat, you're on the lake, and you're rowing, and you're kind of rowing backwards. You're going this direction, but you're faced the opposite direction, right, to get a better pull. Let and that's your future back there, but you can't see it. But imagine Jesus is in that boat, and he's giving you directions, just like a coxswain saying, hey, no, you're going left, you're going right, you've got to turn this direction. So your eyes are on Jesus, you're rowing this way, you can't see what the future holds, but what you can see is look at how God was faithful in your life and all these things in your past. God was faithful even when your parents died at a young age and left you to kind of figure out life on your own. God was still faithful when you miscarried and you lost that baby. God was still faithful even when your marriage went up in smoke because your spouse left you for someone else. You see, there are things in life that your faith is on the line because of circumstances that cause you to go... Man, is God still there? Is he faithful? Is he going to help me pick up the pieces? Will he catch me? And I believe that when we give God credit, when we acknowledge his faithfulness in the past, it allows us to trust him for our future. Amen? Now, how many, when you're rowing like this and you're going to shore, that you're tempted to kind of do this? And when you do, you row and you go in a circle the wrong way. And that's why I think the analogy holds is that we keep our eyes on Jesus. We listen to His voice. 
Not what all the other stuff that's going around. We listen to His voice. Does it say in Scripture in John, um, my sheep hear my voice. And so we renew our mind, we listen to His voice, and that's how we have confidence in God's character. Now, our tendency is to whine, W-H, whine. Why me, God? Woe is me, God. Anger, frustration, depression. And so being a, a Christian whose confidence is God's character doesn't mean that you don't have trials. Let's just settle this because most of you in this room are Christ followers. How many of you have had any kind of James 1, consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance? You know the text. How many of you have had any kind of a trial in the past? We'll just pick the past month. Raise your hand. Okay, we're going to pray for the rest of you then that you can join us. <laughs> many of us have had trials. Now, some of you didn't raise your hand because you said, that wasn't that big a deal. I just lost my job. I'd say that was a trial, all right? So whatever it is, we've gone through those trials. We shouldn't be surprised by them. Philippians 3.10 says we have the fellowship of his sufferings. Job 5.7, man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. And John 16.33, the capstone verse, in this world you will have trouble. So when you have confidence in God's character, it doesn't mean, well, we have it because life is easy and there's no big deal. We just kind of cruise through life. Now, think how the world, apart from Christ, deals with crisis. They don't have confidence in God's character. They have confidence in themselves or in their, you know, account or their job or their, where they find their value. I'm thinking about just what has happened in our world, kind of illustrating John 16, 33, in the last 15 years. Every single one of you, if you were born, know exactly where you were on September 11th, 2001. I, happened to, I remember I was in a barber chair talking to my barber, right? 9-11. And we come off the heels of that three years later with a tsunami that woke us up on Christmas Day. And then a year after that, that summer, August of 2005, Katrina hits, and New Orleans is devastated. Then in a financial way, the, the housing crisis and stock market, stock market crash of 2008-2009 rocks our world. And we come right out of that to an earthquake in Haiti in 2010. There's plenty of bad news on the headlines that you need to stop in those difficult times, whether your faith's on the line or the situation around you is crumbling, that we have confidence in God's character. Well, let's get back to the text. What happens here? Well, um, you can imagine these three guys, their, their knees may have been quivering a bit, but I think this conversation goes on between the three of them, and I'll share it in a second. Verse 18, but even if he does not, what does it mean? Even if he does not, does, does not do what? Doesn't save us. Even if we burn, Shadrach says, and by the way, I think he's speaking for the three, but even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. So I think this is how it goes down. Three of them were standing up there, say, hey, God can save us. But, hedging our bets here, even if he chooses not to save us, we're still not going to bow down. Principle number two, not only do you have confidence in God's character, you have to have courage in your convictions. Do you really believe what you say is true? Have courage in your convictions. Verse 18. Now, 
I think it might have gone down like this. Shadrach's being all bold for the three of them, but Meshach nudges him and says, dude, what if he doesn't save us? What if we burn? And, and Abednego goes, yeah, I mean, are you sure? And Shadrach goes, I got this. No, no, better yet, he's got this, he's got this. Hey, king, loud and clear, we're still not going to bow down. You can, you can take our life, you can, we can burn, but God's going to save our souls. You see, Nebuchadnezzar's hand can only reach them so far, right? And that's why if you study any martyr in history, there's this amazing calm before they face death. Now, what does that mean? Confidence in God's character, courage in your conviction. When I say courage, I'm talking about this little, little phrase, the ability to trust God no matter what your circumstances are. That's what I'm talking about. So when I'm asking courage, I'm not asking you to do some superhuman thing. I'm just saying, trust God no matter what the circumstances. Sometimes the circumstances look pretty bleak. Sometimes it means that we are being stretched beyond our wildest imagination. And so you can imagine what this means to them that they're facing certain death. So imagine the pressure. Let's just review the facts. Who's not in this discussion right now, based on our previous discussion of chapters 1 and 2? Who's conspicuously absent from this discussion? What's his name? Daniel, the, the leader of the pack, the guy who kind of set them up in leadership, who they had been following, who had been their mentor. He's nowhere to be found. So you talk about standing up for what you believe when the person you've actually been kind of joined at the hip with, he's not there. So they're wondering about that. They're putting their careers online. Clearly, they know that there were jealous leaders in, in, uh, in this organization that said, hey, we don't want them in leadership in our, in our government. Think about this. Think if, if these guys got taken, held captive by Mexico and get shipped off to Mexico City, and next thing you know, they're running, you know, you know, the Department of Agriculture, right? So you can imagine how that didn't sit well with, with, the, with the Babylonian rulers, uh, the underlings there. And by the way, Babylon, Babylon today would be a modern-day Iraq, if we want to know where it is geographically. So they put their, 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 played right in the hands of these jealous guys. So how does it end? Well, it's a pretty amazing story, right? They get thrown in the fiery furnace. The guys that throw them in, crispy critters, done, toast, literally, and they don't die. In fact, they don't count three people in there. They count how many? Four. Many believe this is a, a theophany or a Christophany where, and that Jesus joins them in the fire. I don't think it's Daniel. I think it's Jesus. I think it's God. Nebuchadnezzar has another revival experience and says, oh, my goodness, we've made a mistake. They haul them out. And what happens? God spares their lives. Uh, Jesus joins them in the furnace, and the king causes them to prosper there in verse 30. So it worked out. You say, man, that is too good to be true. How come the story doesn't end like that for me? I stand for God, and I lose my job. One of the guys in my Bible study said this way, we, we may not lose our life, but we stand for God, we may lose our livelihood. We say, I'm not going to do that. I won't cheat. I won't, I won't deceive the customer. I'm not going to be dishonest. Or maybe the idea is that um, 
We don't face a fiery furnace, but we do risk getting fired. High school students, college students, maybe where you stand is saying, I don't care what everybody else says is cool. I'm just not doing that. I don't have to drink to be popular at a party. I don't have to give away my virginity because everybody else says it's cool and you should get some experience, quote unquote, before you get married. Or whatever that temptation is. For women, you face the unevitable task of being moms, and some of you have careers, and you're constantly juggling that and figuring out how that all plays out. And I know that the principle of how we develop courageous convictions, I think there are three things. Number one, principle number one is be a man or woman of principle about commitment, not compromise. Commit to something, don't compromise. Be people of principle. Number two, be people of prayer. If you have courageous convictions, you better pray for it because you're going to need it. Prayer, that's courage, not cowardice. And I'd say you pray that, God, I don't have the strength to deal with this. I need your help. I'm not bearing up well. I need you. Think about it. Noah stood up to his culture. Joshua believed in God despite everything that he saw. Look at all those, those huge giants in the land. Joseph, next week, we're going to look at, look at a forgotten prisoner next week. In spite of unbelievable adversity, he trusts God. And then Gideon, over overwhelming circumstances. That's how you develop courageous convictions. You act on them way back here, and each time God gives you a chance to be faithful to little things as you grow older. And then thirdly, persistence. That means the idea of having this commitment, not complacency, where you, you hang in there. You never give up. Now, I know there are times in your Christian faith that you feel like giving up, but I'm going to tell you a story. It's probably my favorite story that I tell about hanging in there. And the story goes like this. Paderewski was touring our United States back in the 1900s, and Ella's going to play the part of this child. And this young mom brought her daughter to this concert hall and just thought, if she saw the immortal Paderewski playing the piano, that maybe, just maybe, she'd take her piano lessons a little more seriously. So they were excited. She sat down. There are 3,000 people in this concert hall. She looks left to talk to her neighbor a second. She turns to right. Her daughter is gone. To her horror, she's looking everywhere. Where is she? And then she sees her having made her way up onto the platform, and this little girl sits at the piano. She's thinking, what is about to happen? And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. This little girl starts playing chopsticks. Now, for every other parent, this is a photo op. Let's get this posted on Facebook. This is 100 years ago. People didn't think it was that funny. And so what happens is Paderewski hears off stage all the booing and jeering, get this kid off the stage. Who bring a kid like this here? And Paderewski quietly slips down and sits on the piano bench next to this little girl and starts playing this beautiful counter melody all the while. The crowd is hushed. 
She keeps playing. He keeps playing. And then what the reporters didn't say was what he was whispering into her ear. He said, don't stop. You can do it. Don't quit. Keep on playing. Don't stop now. Now you say, that's a nice little story, John. But that is exactly what we face in our life today. If the truth be known, some of you just feel like your Christian life, you're just playing chopsticks. Whereas God, you feel like a failure. You wonder if he's listening. He seems a million miles away. Your life is falling apart. But thank goodness we have a Heavenly Father who's whispering into our ears, don't stop, don't quit, keep on playing. That's the essence of the Christian life, one day at a time, trusting that God is who He says He is, having confidence in God's character, and having courage in your convictions. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you're about to do in this place. And I know there are people in this room who have wrestled with trusting you with something in their life. And so we sing of your faithfulness now. And we ask, Lord, that as we lift our voices, that the words of this song would be true. In Jesus' name, in his strong name, amen. That's the truth of God's word, both in our spoken word and worship. God's never going to let go of you. When he seems a million miles away, he's there to catch you. When you have a crisis of faith, when you have to stand up for what you believe, that you have confidence in God's character, and you'll have courage in your convictions. That's what our prayer is for us today. And so, as a body of Christ, would you just grab hands of the person next to you? We haven't done this in a while. And go across the aisle. And then grab a hold of their little sweaty hand too. It's all, it's all good. Got Perel outside. And let's offer this prayer of blessing today on you and, your, and the church. Heavenly Father, we ask that you indeed would never let go. We know that, that we can trust you fully. We want to have confidence in your character. We want to have courage in our convictions. And so, Lord, today, we lift up that thing that burdens us that causes us to wonder, that causes us to have a crisis of faith. And we say, God, I give it to you today. Take it. Take it off my shoulder. And I willingly hand it to you today. And Lord, I ask that you would bless this church. Bless these people. Bless them as they move forward and standing as average, everyday Christians, taking one step at a time trusting you the rest of their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.